Praise the name of the Lord. You may be seated tonight. So good to see everybody here on this Sunday night. What a wonderful congregation. Tonight is a great privilege, and I kind of done a little bit of an introduction this morning. A great surprise for me to have one of my friends just come into the state of Missouri and look me up and is able to spend the night with me tonight. We got a lot of catching up to do. We done a little bit of catching up today at lunch. Dennis Witter is one of the greatest men of God that you'll ever meet in your whole life. He has helped mentor me. He's taught me so much. If there's ever a man that's had a great influence on my life, this is one man that has. He's a graduate of Lee College, and that tells you his age because now it's Lee University and has been for several years. But he graduated when it was the college days. He's got a doctor in theology. He's a very educated, very articulate man. He's uh, not only a, has been a successful pastor for over 40 years or 30 years or whatever. I don't even know exact how many years he's pastored. But he's been a trainer, a developer, a leader, a teacher, an educator. He's presently retired from pastoring and he's doing work with leadership. He's doing some writing. And he's, uh, going, he's doing a lot of educating. And um, I want to be one of the students. He's a great man of God. He's also a comedian. He's very fun to be around. I could tell you some stories about camp meeting. And he said, man, you've got a fond memory of the camp meeting and a fond memory of youth camps with him. And uh, some of the things he probably wished I would have forgot about. But I still got them right here. And I love to blackmail but uh, we've had a great time together. Our journey has been good. And it's just, it's just an overwhelming privilege to have such a man as this to come and be able to speak to you. He's solid as a rock. And he's as compassionate and loving and soft as a pillow. He's so well balanced. He's just a great example of what a Christian man is. Would you welcome to the pulpit Dennis Witter, Dr. Dennis Witter tonight. Thank you. God bless you. Please be seated. I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who loved us and who gave himself for us. Amen. Thank you for uh, the introduction, Kent, Pastor Miller. It's far too generous. Uh, I thank God that many years ago, many years ago, I met uh, Brother Miller, even before he was a pastor. And uh, later on, I met Jenny and met their boys and used to enjoy watching them collide in the house. Uh, not Kent and Jenny, but the boys. They would run together, and uh, I always thought, I wish I had known how to do that when I played high school football. I wasn't that good. I have all kinds of jokes and funny things I could tell you, but honestly, tonight for me is a very serious time. It's a very somber time, and as I have meditated on what I believe that the Lord wanted me to share with you tonight, my mind has been turned to a word of encouragement, yes, and a word of warning. Yes. When I first started preaching, and that was in uh, August 28th, 1972. Uh, don't start looking it up. It was 51 years ago. And I've been honored to share the gospel many times. I've never been worthy. I've never been quite ready. 
I've always been afraid, and I am tonight. Don't ever believe you can stand in God's presence and not feel some kind of fear or trepidation about not doing what he wants you to do. The baby dedication really blessed me. Um, if you don't love babies, there is something seriously wrong with you. They're so wonderful. And uh, I dedicated my first, it wasn't my baby, it was somebody in the church in August of 1977 in Perry, Florida. Little boy whose name was Richard Ian Leverett. I believe I've not seen him since. His parents were one of those couples that Pastor Miller may have been alluding to who brought their baby for dedication and then took off for other places. Since then, I've been honored to dedicate many, many children. On uh, late February 1976, my wife, Carol, and I put our newborn baby, Richard, in our little car that didn't have a heater and drove it from Cleveland, Tennessee to our church on 13th and Gravois in South St. Louis. You may have heard of the Gravois Church of God, which recently burned badly. We drove 500 miles one way that weekend so that Pastor Dorman could dedicate our, our son. In, well, I lost the date, but sometime 18 years ago, our son and his wife, Zhao Jin, from China, loaded their little baby, Zhao Ya, we call her Grace, they loaded her onto planes and trains and cars and buses and vans and taxis, and they traveled 7,546 miles so that she could be dedicated in the house of God. And it was one of my great honors in ministry to hold that little half Chinese, half who knows. We don't know what we are. Uh, and lift her up to the Lord. Today, my son, our son, is pastoring in Homestead, Florida, in a multicultural church. In church today, they probably had 12 or 1,300 people who spoke several, speak several languages, and, and uh, Rich is so excited about ministry, but listen, he wasn't always. I watched in pain as he ran from the Lord for several years. Well, actually, he just sort of backed away from God for several years because he went to a Christian college, got a bachelor's degree, was almost married to another girl, and then they came to their senses. They didn't get married. He got right with God. She got right with God, and he later went to China and uh, worked in the underground church for five years where he sort of cut his ministerial teeth uh, in illegal Christianity. We're very proud of him. Not that he was illegal. We're very proud of him that he learned to preach the gospel. As far as I know, he's not illegal anymore, and we hope that he won't, won't be. When Pastor Mill and I spoke, it was just very, very recently, but I was thinking of what I might be willing to share. And, you know, when you've preached as many times as I have, and in many places, a lot of the states and um, I'm going to throw this in as a testimony. One of the, and this is for, maybe for the young people, maybe for the not-so-young people. 
When I was a young man, I grew up in the, in the South uh, St. Louis, around Cherokee Street and Jefferson, if you know that neighborhood. And you won't believe that I grew up there if you know that neighborhood. But I did. And we were glad we grew up because uh, it was a tough place. Uh, we used to do reports in school, what I want to be if I grow up. <laughs> Some of you are going, well, what does that mean? Help out your partner if you need to. One of the things I really, really, really wanted to do more than possibly anything except serve God is I wanted to travel. I wanted to go places, see things, learn things, meet people, Christians, non-Christians, didn't matter. I just wanted to travel. And when I was dealing, when the Lord was dealing with me with a call to ministry, which I believe started about age seven or eight, I already knew that if I go into the ministry, this is how I saw it. I will never get to travel very much because it costs money. And believe it or not, at least back then, preachers didn't make a lot of money. I'm sure some of them make a great deal of money now, and many of them do not. But when the Lord really started focusing in on me on his call on my life, and I answered it, by the way, at youth camp in uh, June of 1972, I headed off to college that fall, started training, and over a period of years, I was privileged to preach, well, to travel to 39 different countries, and not always for preaching. And that was part of my testimony that I thought that was going to be taken away from me if I followed God. And if you're like I was, and am still sometimes, you may think, well, if I do what God says... I'm not going to be able to get what I want. That's probably true in some ways. But I remind you that your Lord told you, and he told me, he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. I had two different travel agents that said, we have not been to 39 countries. We don't serve God so we get to travel. We don't serve God because it makes it, makes it possible for us to have nice cars or, or great money or good food. We serve God because through his wonderful generosity and his loving spirit, he, he's shown us who he is. And if you've ever seen who he is, you will worship him. And if you haven't met him, you may be tempted to fall in love with stars from Hollywood or athletes that are paid a lot more money than Brother Miller makes. Michael Jordan made twice the money you have made. I know some of you wrote that down. We got him. <laughs> no, you don't. But as I meditated on, or as I reflected on what I was going to share this evening, and I, I'm so honored to be here. I got lost on the way here. I drove in from St. Louis this morning, and I had to call Brother Miller and say, I'm going to be late because I'm lost. He said, it's a great question. He said, where are you? I said, I don't know. I'm lost. I was hoping you knew. No, I'm exaggerating just a little bit. And he let me come in anyway, and I was late today. It was a beautiful service, wonderful message. You all, you already know this, but I remind you, you are a very blessed congregation. Not just because of the Millers. You're blessed because of the people sitting around you. They're ble you're blessed because of the people who aren't here tonight and couldn't be. 
They were blessed because of this beautiful facility, and we could go down the list, but most of all, and I, I, don't, I know I don't need to remind you, you know this, but I'm going to go ahead and say it one more time. You're blessed because the one in the scriptures in Hebrew they call Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, gave up everything and came down here and hung on a cross for you. And I am, I'm getting a little bit weary of hearing Christians saying, hearing Christians say, well, what has he done for me lately? He hung on a cross for you. Get that through your head, get that through your heart, and worship the Lord. I want to share with you a little while, or maybe a long time tonight, about, about prison. As I mentioned China, my mind always goes to several friends of mine who have spent time in prison in China, not for illegal drugs or prostitution or assault or rape or sedition, but because they have worship services without getting permission from the communist government. I've been honored to be in many of those services. I've baptized people at silent baptisms. I've, I've been honored to participate in worship services where we clapped, but we didn't clap loud because it would draw attention. And sometimes Americans say, well, I'd go ahead and clap. I don't care what happened. No, you wouldn't. If you knew they were coming with pistols, you'd probably do like the rest of us. Lord, you hear our praise. And yes, we'll make a loud noise to the Lord, but maybe not, not tonight. One of the songs that some of you grew up with, and I started to sing it with you tonight, and I thought I might be the only one. That would be terrible. Uh, I'll start the words. Once, once like a bird from prison or in prison I dwelt. Say it with me. No freedom from my sorrow I felt. But Jesus came and whispered to me, and glory to God, he set me free. Now, what's the chorus? He set me free, yes, he set me free. He broke the bonds of prison for me. I'm glory bound by Jesus to see, because glory to God, he set me free. How could, how could you not sing about him? How can you not worship him? Yeah, we forget, but... Another song I remember from my childhood was, Lord, remind me, remind me, dear Lord. That's one of the reasons we come to church. Every week? Yeah. Several times a week. And, uh, Pastor Miller told me he didn't carry a Bible to the pulpit today, and so I followed his suit. I've got a Bible here, and I own 75 or 80 Bibles, so don't worry. I do read it. I'm familiar with it. And... Uh, I thought someone might say, well, how can you preach without a Bible? And I'll just tell you, every time you leave your house, you preach, whether you have a Bible or not. Every time some redneck cuts you off on the highway, or you might be that redneck that gets cut off on the highway, you're preaching. Every time that little waitress makes a mistake on your order and you have to decide whether to yell at her, or bless her, you're preaching. Either way. And a great friend of mine, great, great friend of mine, who 
I was visiting in Indiana many years ago, and we went through the drive-through restaurant. He was driving, and and the little lady inside, it's like a, a jack-in-the-box face, you know, talking to this clown, and uh, that's always interesting, ordering your food from a clown's mouth. And uh, he was, my friend was complaining too much, and he was giving her a hard time. And as we went through, and he paid, and we left, and she was red in the face, and we left, and, and again, this is a wonderful man who I respect dearly, and he's a great, great preacher, teacher, but he said, uh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. She might be in my church someday. And I said, well, she just was. Your church is your car, too, folks. Don't forget that. Your church is your back porch. If you wind up in jail, that's your church. If you're in the hospital, that's your church. If you're in the funeral home saying goodbye to a loved one, that's your church. When you lie alone at night and get ready to go to sleep, that's your church. The psalmist said the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. For he has founded it upon the seas and he has established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who has not sworn deceitfully, this one belongs to God and he shall receive blessing from the Lord God Almighty. When you hear about a good friend who goes to jail, and it happens, I've bailed a few people out, and uh, we were almost arrested in several foreign countries, didn't quite get caught. But when you hear about that, that a friend has been locked up, I have relatives, one of my uh, cousins, a, a girl cousin, died very recently from hard living. I remember she used to make fun of my family because we went to church all the time. And we didn't have a boat. And she said that's because we gave her money to the church. And she had other criticisms. And I really liked her. She was a pretty girl and a bright girl. But she decided not to serve God. And listen, if you don't serve God, it doesn't much matter what you do with the rest of your life. You're wasting it. But she spent several years in prison for buying and selling and using cocaine. And in order to do that, she had sometimes to sell her body on the streets. She didn't stop laughing at us when she was dying. She said, don't send my cousin Linda, that's my sister, don't send her because she'll talk to me just like Aunt Frances used to do about Jesus. Aunt Frances was my mom. She is my mom. She's with the Lord. Prison's tough. I have been locked in a few little compartments for serious criminals and I'm a little claustrophobic or have been a little claustrophobic and I know what it's like to sit there in one case in Virginia I sat across the room and it was an eight by eight room and I sat across from a, a really a good guy named Kevin who thought he knew better than the lawmakers of the state of Virginia and he said a friend of his was hurting he was in pain and my friend Kevin had some pain pills and he said I decided to help him because the doctors wouldn't give him anything so I gave him a bottle of, of pills of, of pain pills. And that night, that young man took that bottle, swallowed all of it, and died. And they locked Kevin up first for first-degree murder. 
It's tough to be locked up, even if you thought you were doing the right thing. And folks, there are reasons why that you and I, unless we're pharmacists or doctors, we cannot give away medicine that is a narcotic or controlled substance. But Kevin thought he could do it. Somehow his sentence got lightened and he came out of of prison after about a year and a half. I was so uncomfortable sitting there with him. And the other part was there was a guard that I could touch and he could touch Kevin. And I remember thinking, this is a lousy way to spend even one day of your life. Some other time I'll tell you more jail stories. I have never been to jail, but I have deserved to go to jail on a number of occasions. And I would tell you the details, but I think some of you might be too eager to hear them. (laughs) And you might have a problem with gossip like some of us do. So suffice it to say, God delivered me from jail. My parents did what they did to keep us out of jail and out of hell. And that's why we're here tonight, all of us. Early in the Old Testament, we have examples of men of God, and there were some women, too, who were imprisoned, wrongly, falsely, falsely accused, falsely punished or judged and punished. Jesus spent some time in a a jail of, of sorts. The children of Israel were locked up in Egypt. Joseph spent some serious hard time in prison. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not only in prison, but they were sent to the hottest part of the prison, the furnace. And they said, oh, king, we know what your decree is, and you're asking us to bow. And we know God can deliver us. We believe he will deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow. Now, church, we may not have to answer to a king, but we have to answer to the king and say, Lord, with your help, I will never bow to this mess down here. Money or no money, fame or no fame, riches and treasures and applause, doesn't matter. We're not going to bow. But, oh, Lord, we gladly bow before you. There's a passage in the New Testament that speaks of Paul and Silas, and it's another song that you could sing with me if, if we started. When Paul and Silas both were thrown in jail, they did not worry who would go their bail, but on the prayer bells they began to ring, off fell the stocks, and they began to sing. That's a good song, but it's not quite in order. I want you to share with me in this reading of the Scripture tonight. I'm reading from New King James Version just because... Now it happened as we went to prayer. This is the Apostle Paul writing. This is a guy that knew about prison. He knew how to lock people up and have them in prison. Never forget that. When Paul talked about prison, he had been a part of the imprisonment of innocent Christian people and the murder, the execution of other Christians. You talk about feeling bad about your past sins. You're supposed to feel bad about your past sins. But we're also able to say he set me free from those past sins. A certain slave girl, this is a remarkable story when you think about it, possessed with the spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by 
fortune-telling. She was a fortune-teller. That's what she was. The girl followed Paul and us. Of course, this is the writing of, uh, of, of Luke. But Paul was telling the story uh, as he went along. And she cried out. Now, imagine you're preaching the gospel, Pastor Miller, you and maybe Zach out in the street preaching or preaching down the road somewhere. And this lady who's just been delivered from fortune-telling, probably demonically influenced and affected, and she screams out, these men, starts out well, they're servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the day of salvation. And this is the troublesome part. This she did for many days. How would you like that? You go downtown, you're going to preach at a corner. She comes up and starts screaming above your voices. These are men of God. They're preaching salvation. And then she follows you to the cafeteria. Then she follows you all over town and the next town and into church and all day long. At some point, I think we're going to say, lady, we appreciate your affirmation, but take it away a little bit. I was preaching in Karen Sabish, Romania. I was privileged to help conduct a baptism, the first public baptism on the Timish River in Karen Sabish. This is many years ago. It was right after the fall of Nikolai Ceausescu and his wife, who you might remember they were killed during the uh, rebellion, the revolution in Romania. They were shot to death by machine guns by the same people that they used to rule. But during... Ceausescu's rule, there were no public baptisms unless you belong to the Romanian Orthodox Church, and we don't. But I was preaching there, and I had an interpreter, and a drunk guy, that's the best way to describe him, he was just a guy that was drunk, and he came walking up in a leather jacket. There were, I'd say, 1,500 people there in a big park, and we were preaching on the, on the riverbank, preaching up into the park. And this man, uh, he was very, very drunk. He was highly inebriated. And he started hollering. He started hollering, hallelujah, which in Romania sounds like this, hallelujah. And the, but he would say, Jesus, Jesus. And he, he would say, Sir, but as I preached, I could tell he was mocking me, which that doesn't bother me. I get mocked. It's okay but he was disturbing the message. This is something I wish we could have been able to film, which we couldn't. And uh, while he was doing that, a gang of guys in long black jackets, must have been eight or 10 of them, came up and grabbed, grabbed him, dragged him into the bushes. And about two minutes later, the guy came out staggering more and walked away. So he paid a price for his mockery. I didn't hit him. I wouldn't have hit him. This man was yelling at them constantly. It was more than an aggravation. It was more than a disturbance. It was blasphemous. It was heretical. It was illegal even then. But Paul, get this, greatly annoyed. It's all right to get greatly annoyed. You just can't act like it. You can't behave like it. He turned and said to the spirit, not to her, but to the spirit. He said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her masters, here we go now. When her masters saw that the hope of their prophet, you see, they were, they were pimps essentially. They made their money by her telling fortunes. 
How cruel, how horrendous that is. We live in a country, many, many wonderful people, but a lot of people who make their money off young ladies or young men who sell their bodies or their minds or their futures. There's great cruelty in this nation. There's great love in this nation, wonderful churches and people who are desperately lost, and there are many, many, many people who are locked up in prison. Sometimes those prisons have iron bars and cement walls, and sometimes those prisons are theaters where adult films are shown, and sometimes those prisons are in crack houses or uh, gambling dens. Sometimes those prisons are in churches. Sometimes those prisons can be in our homes and we might not even recognize them. My son spent some time in prison, not the kind with keys and locks and guards, but in the prison where he was mis or underestimating who God was and what the call of ministry means. So many of us have been like that. Perhaps tonight you're, you're dealing with something and you feel like you're encumbered and maybe it's worse than just a prison, it's a secret prison. You might be caught up in something that shouldn't have caught you up, but it did. Most of us have been there. You might have a relationship with someone that is actually functioning as a jail or a prison. You may feel more locked up than you would be if you were on the old island prison called Alcatraz. When her masters saw that the gain, the hope of gain, their profit was gone. Is this what happens when we preach in America? They, it says they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. I think many of us would, our next motion would be to call the American Civil Liberties Union, get our lawyers on. We have a special lawyer, I know his name, down in Tennessee to take, help take care of us when somebody calls us bad names and things like that. And they brought them to the magistrates, the rulers, and they said, these men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city. They were liars. If you aren't getting lied about every so often, you might want to take another look at your relationship with God. They teach customs which are not lawful for us being Romans to receive or observe. Then the multitude, of course, they were easily influenced. They rose up, the Bible says, they rose up together against them and the magistrates tore the clothes of Paul and Silas and commanded them to be beaten with rods. Somehow that seems worse than when someone makes fun of my sermon. Or when someone questions you at Walmart when they hear you sing in Amazing Grace and they point finger and chuckle. They beat him with rods. They beat Jesus with a rod, the Bible says. Hit him on the face or the head. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them. You know this story. Keep him securely. Having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, Roman historians will tell you 
in law enforcement in those days, it was pretty hard to catch criminals. And when they caught them and they locked them up, only about 2% of them, if they escaped, only about 2% of them were ever caught. Keep that in mind. If these guys get away, they're gone. The jailer thought, if Paul and Silas get away, they're going to kill me. That was a capital crime back then. Here's where the good stuff starts, I hope. When I first started seeing this scripture many years ago, 51 years ago, and I wrote a little message, or a big message, I don't know, and I called it How to Escape from Prison. It seemed like such a good title to a great story. You know, because the goal was get out of prison. If you're ever locked up, get out, escape, run away, do what you have to do. Call your lawyer, uh, dig a tunnel, do what you have to do. And I, that's how I, I believed when I was younger that you know, God would never allow us to be locked up. My goodness, he loves us too much to let us go to jail or to have problems or to get sick. I didn't know him as well then. A few years later, I kind of changed the mode of this when I was preaching somewhere overseas, and I, I called it prison behavior. You know, how to act when you're locked up, because you're going to get locked up occasionally if you're a criminal. Well, these guys were criminals, according to those fellas. The reason they locked people up in China and beat them, and one of our friends over there, a lovely young lady, she's a twin, and she pastors churches, but they catch her at it. And uh, they beat her. They locked her up several times. And one guard came in with a box cutter and cut a big C. Uh, and I know that's not the Chinese letter, but they carved a big C. And they said, that's what you get for being a Christian. Last time I saw her, they were praying for me. I was leaving. We were actually in Manila preaching to Chinese people because our, 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 our Chinese leader, uh, Dr. Han Yang, pray for him when you can. Uh, he was not allowed to go back into China where he was born. They threw him out of China forever. So he raised money. We raised money. We flew the students to Manila where we had school for them for two weeks at a seminary. But the last time I saw her, she was pr praying for us, and I have a leather bag that's in my car. Beautiful butterscotch color bag my wife bought me 20 years ago, and I never hardly used it. She said, you got to use that. And I said, I don't want to make, make it mess it up. She said, I want you to mess it up. I want you to use it. So I took it to China. And as I was standing there, we were praying. I looked up and this, I'll never forget this. This wonderful Chinese lady was praying so hard that tears were rolling down her cheek and hit right in the middle of my nice leather bag that I didn't want to have touched. And I picked it up later and looked at it and I thought, right here, these are, these are tears from the eyes of a fellow Christian one who has been in prison. Her DNA is in that bag. I guard that bag carefully because it's a reminder to me of what some of our friends have had to go through in prison. Now, I'm not forgetting that I've already said that some of you tonight may be in a prison experience. I've been there. I know what it's like. And I may be there tomorrow. I may be going through something that is unbearable or unthinkable to me, but in God's wisdom, he allows me to go through this period of incarceration, whether it's a jail or whether it's a, a, some other situation, some attack or something else that we hadn't foreseen. As I got older, 
And now I think of this story as this. Prison as a part, as a part of the Pentecostal mission. It's very quiet. That probably means you're thinking. Pastor Witter, are you telling me that God would intentionally send us on a mission that would cause us to be uh, hurt or uh, inconvenienced or be broken in some way or be mocked or be restricted? Prison is defined as a building, as a building where people are held who have been convicted in, of crimes or while they await those crimes. Prison's usually described as a building. We know it isn't always a building. And right about now, I hope those of you who might be struggling with this might be listening carefully. Uh, you may not have to be in that prison right now. It may be unnecessary. If it's necessary, Pastor Miller, if the Lord sends you to jail, then stay there as long as you need to be. Do what you're supposed to do. And then one day he'll set you free. But if you're in a jail situation, a prison, because of bad mistakes you've made or sins you've committed, then you know what to do. Get right with God. He can get you out of there too. The Philippian jailer is the one whose responsibility it was to keep those guys incarcerated we learned this story as little kids, but I didn't know that it had the meaning then that I know that it has now. And that's one of the advantages of Bible study. Have you ever noticed, Pastor Miller today mentioned one of the best known stories in the Bible, David and Goliath. But he pointed out some things that I hadn't seen exactly that way. Listen to me carefully, church, Bible scholars. Um, the word of God is so rich and so thick and so deep and so beautiful that if you'll do it, if you'll allow yourself, each time you go back to those stories, yes, even the little fundamental rudimentary tales of, of uh, baby Jesus and, and uh, the shepherds and those kind of stories, each time you dig and in, dip into that well, you get out more water. And listen to me, they will never, those stories the truth of those stories will never fade. They'll never run dry. So God wants us, I think, and know to be reminded that part of being a Christian, not just in Romania or in East Timor and in Indonesia or in North Korea or in Russia or some of these other places, part of being a Christian is knowing that you're going to be headed to trouble from time to time. And I know there are churches, possibly some nearby here, who would say he is preaching heresy. God doesn't want us to suffer. God doesn't allow suffering. Yeah, he does. But if he allows it, it's good for you. I don't want to suffer. I remember someone else who said, I don't want to suffer. He said, Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. So part of your mission, I believe, definitely part of mine, is to walk 
boldly, if necessary, into prison situations, challenges. Sometimes it's because of things I did. Sometimes it's because of things I didn't do. Sometimes it's because of things other people did to me or didn't do for me. Listen, very, very serious moment. We have Christian brothers and sisters right now at this moment who are laying down their lives for the gospel. They are hearing the chains and the doors slamming and they know that some of them know that tomorrow they'll be dead because they're doing what we do here tonight freely. Listen, we owe it to those people to get the gospel to them, those who've already heard it, but to share the ministry and to get the gospel to the others. I've met, I've met jailers in China again. These are mostly Chinese stories. I've met jailers who had become Christians. Some of them got locked up. I have one very good friend whose name is Hai Bo. He was a judge in China. His father was a judge in China. Of course, he was a lawyer. He was a Chinese millionaire, which means you need about six million American dollars to be a Chinese millionaire. It's a lot of money. He got caught preaching. He got caught leading a church without government permission. And they locked him up. One of the things they did, which I thought was odd, but it must have been horrendous, he had to sit in a hard chair for three days straight, and he wasn't allowed to move. When he finally came before the judge, their penalty, their fine was, we fine you all of your money, all of your businesses. You're broke, Jack. Not only that, but you could never be a judge again in China. Not only that, but you could never practice law in this particular province again. We're in a war. I said, we are in a war. You signed up for the army, the Lord's army, did you not? Yes, he did. <laughs> we signed up. I remember signing up. I was about four years old when I came to my understanding of the depth and degradation of my sins and made my way to an altar and repented for the thousands of sins I'd committed as a four-year-old. I remember the day I did it a little storefront church in South St. Louis. And we would sing, I'm in the Lord's army. And we would sing later on, I'm on the battlefield for my Lord. And we would sing, onward Christian soldiers marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. At midnight, and this is the behavior that I used to, and I still preach this, but I preach that will help get you out of a prison if you find yourself there. This is the same uh, part of the message which will teach us how to escape and to help others escape. And it's the same part of the same message that will remind us that sometimes we're supposed to be in trouble. Some of your problems or mine may be given to us by God to, to help save our hides. God has often let things happen that you thought were bad. Some of you guys know you 
you saw that girl out there on the street and your wife was at home and you thought, you know what? I may give her a call and you get her number and you called and she doesn't answer. You call and she doesn't answer. Do you know who that was that was keeping her from answering the phone? That was the Lord trying to keep you out of trouble. When you've been to the store and you saw something you'd like to have, but you didn't really want to work for it, but you were lusting after that thing. The word lust isn't always about sexual things. Lust just means I want it now. That's why many of us gamble. That's why many of us cheat. That's why some of us steal. That's why some of us punch our enemies instead of trusting God that he is the God of vengeance. At midnight, the King James Version says they sang, they prayed and sang praises to God. See, they didn't praise God when the chains fell off. They praised God, say it with me, before the chains came off. And some of you may be walking around like this 23 hours a day. God, if you'll take these chains off, I'll give you all the praise. And he's like, I can handle praise right now. We can praise God with chains, right? We can praise God with locked doors. We can praise God with false accusations and false judgments and false imprisonments. Paul and Silas were singing. That's the first thing they did. I've got four quick things. They were singing and praying, singing and praying, singing and praying. Uh, do I have to keep praying? Yes, I get to keep praying. Do we have to sing that song again? Yes, it's very important that you sing that song again. How about if we wait till we feel like singing that song? There's a very good chance, my friend, that you'll never feel like singing again if you fall into that lie. We don't sing the songs of Zion because they're cool or because we like the sound. We don't sing them so people will hear us. If these folks up here on the stage are putting on a show... God will take care of that. They're not doing that. They're singing to praise God. They are called worship leaders. They are leading us in worship. Thank God for them and for worship leaders all over the world who do this every, every day. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. You, you've seen the scripture. I hear these stories about people. Oh, I was in church and my pastor's pulpit was rocking and zooming. Okay, whatever. But in this case, we know it was true. And it was, wasn't just an earthquake. So the, the, sec, the first thing they did is they, I say it like this, they sang and worshiped at night, at midnight. Midnight is uh, not always easily identifiable unless you have a clock in front of you, but some of you have been in places where it was midnight and you didn't have a clock. I was in Outside of Karen, no, not Karen Sabish. I was outside of Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia, living or staying in one of those leather round huts you've seen, you know, and they have yaks in the yard. Those are the cows who have like the long hair. And I went out at midnight trying <laughs> to find the facilities. I ran into a yak, and he or she didn't like it very much. I liked it less. And I looked up, and it was as dark as could be. And I pulled out my, my little phone and turned on. That was my light. It was these little cell phones. 
I know what it's like to be at midnight. More importantly, I know what it's like to be in spiritual midnight. Been there. Since you're a Christian, yeah, honestly. Whose fault was it? Some of it was mine. Most of it was the devil. And some of it may have been the Lord trying to teach me what it's like to live in the dark so I might be drawn to other people that live in the dark. Sometimes he lets you suffer the same reason he let Jesus suffer when the Bible says that we have not a high priest who is untouched with the feelings of our infirmities, but who is tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. And the Bible says Jesus learned Jesus learned obedience by the things that he suffered. I sometimes detest myself because my behaviors help necessitate the death of Jesus. And yet I'm so glad. I'm so glad he saved me, aren't you? Praise God. Would the musicians come forward, please? There were two more things that they did. He said when the place was shaking like that, or probably a lot more because it says it was a great earthquake, all the prisoners' chains were broken. Listen to all, all, Paul and Silas, and all the murderers and the rapists and the child molesters and the bank robbers and all those guys. They were all loose. The, The doors came open. What percentage of escaped prisoners returned or were returned to jail, do you remember? 2%, so 98% of those guys, if they had run away, they would have been gone. But, But listen, something kept those guys there in that dark, dank, stinking, lousy jail cellar. Don't forget, earlier it said, as Paul and Silas sang at midnight and prayed, it said all the prisoners heard them. I want to remind you, my friends, that when you are going through, if there is such a thing as hell on earth, if you're going through that or something that's just horrible and you can't imagine what's going on, I want you to know there are people around you, first of all, who have it worse off, but secondly, who listen to what you say in those moments. I like crosses. I have some cross pens and I have crosses on my Bibles and there are crosses in our house. We usually have a cross on outside our house. I like crosses, but they remind us that Christianity necessitated death. Jesus said, you want to live, you want to keep your life, then give it up. If you want to lose your life, hang on to it tightly. Mother Teresa said, and I don't quote her very often because she wasn't the saint that she's described to be sometimes, but Uh, She's like the rest of us. She knew about Jesus, maybe needed to know him a little better. But she said, cling very loosely to the things that you have in life and it will hurt less when God wrenches them out of your hands at death. The great theologian, Mike Tyson. Remember him? One of the most ferocious people that ever lived. But after he lost one of his very few matches, he was broken, he wanted to kill himself. Because when you're the heavyweight champion of the world, that's pretty much all you got. 
Those things that we work so hard to get, once we get them, sometimes they're just like heavy weights. But Pastor Mike Tyson said, when I was a young man, he said, I thought life was all about getting things, just gathering and accumulating. And he said, now that I've gotten older, I've come to realize it's all about, this is his view, life is all about losing things. They take one thing after, away from you, then they take another, and they take your freedom, and eventually they take everything, and they put you in a hole in the ground and leave you. That's the non-Christian version of this thing. God's trying to take my stuff. You can see it that way. Or you could say, God is trying to relieve me from the stuff that's killing me. I can't afford to give God things. Uh, we can't afford not to. I can't afford to spend my time in prayer. You cannot afford not to. Church attendance is so heavy and and such a great requirement. No, it's not. We just need to see it differently. Well, you can imagine what happened when the jail doors fell off and the opened and the chains fell off. And the Bible says that the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, which they hadn't, he drew his sword. Now, some of us, and Paul and Silas' shoes may have said, you know what? Don't say anything. Let him believe that we're all escaped. Watch him kill himself. He deserves it. No. Paul hollers at the, at the old man who was scared to death probably, and he said, uh, do, do, do thyself no harm. Don't hurt yourself. Now, are we able to say that when people are hurting us? Don't hurt yourself. We're all here. He didn't say Paul and Silas are here. He said, we're all here. All the prisoners stayed. What kept them there? I propose to you that it was the ministry of Paul and Silas. They saw something in these other prisoners that was better to them than freedom would have been. And my friends, when you're hurting, when you're sick and you're in the doctor's office waiting for what is probably bad news, when you've lost your job through no fault of your own, when they lift the prices so high that you can't even buy a loaf of bread for less than $5. I, bought, I almost bought a $5 apple the other day. Call Eckerd's Farms in Illinois and ask them how much they charge for Honeycrisp apples. Four, a 69 a pound. I picked up a big apple. It was exactly one pound. I weighed it. I go, There's a $5 apple. No, thank you. When the prices are so crazy, you don't know what you're gonna do about retirement, or you've had to cut into your 501K, or your KEO, or whatever your savings plan is, and you start getting a little bit nervous. When those kind of things are closing in, when your best friend is no longer your best friend, when your child that you birthed and brought up and rescued a thousand times when he or she refuses to speak to you or to come home, and you're feeling like you're just locked up, when the aches of arthritis or rheumatism or cancer or any of the other many, many physical ailments that we can have is starting to get the best of you. Remember what these guys did. First, at midnight, they sang and prayed. At midnight, they sang and prayed. At midnight, they sang and prayed. And sometimes at midnight, they prayed and sang. 
But when they did that, their ministry, the Lord did it, but the, their ministry shook the place. Remember that? You and I, I don't, I hope you're not thinking this is too dramatic, but you and I are supposed to be shaking wherever we are. We're supposed to be shaking things. I don't mean physically. Of course not. You don't have to if it's real. It should have influence. We are people of influence. We were never be, we were never designed to be people who do not have influence. And sometimes people say, well, I don't want to influence things. Well, I do. I want to influence lost people to come to Jesus, don't you? I want to influence young girls that are thinking about abortions to go and get real help, real therapy, real medical care. I want to influence the, the drug dealers and the drug users to give that up and to accept Jesus Christ and the power that only he can bring to them. I want to influence the church to be more loving and to be more dedicated, to be more sacrificial. I want to influence my family to be a better family. I want to influence my good friends like Pastor Miller to continue on that good, hard road, to stay on the gospel road. Don't you want that kind of influence? Amen. So then, verse 29, they, they called, or the jailer called for a light. Can't tell you how important this is. He was screaming for a light because, again, it was as dark for him as it was for the other guys. But he had the authority to get a light. So he said, give me a light. He didn't know there were two lights. He didn't know there was that first, which was probably a burning torch or perhaps a large candle. Yeah, he needed that. But Paul knew what he was really calling for. Brother Miller, when you were a dumb kid, I'm assuming you were a dumb kid. I was. Not all kids are dumb. Some of us were. And you didn't know the Lord. You hadn't really submitted to him, I'm guessing. You didn't trust him. And you were looking for a light. Not everybody will tell you this, but an awful, awful lot of lost people are calling for a light. They don't even know what it is. They're, they're crying for freedom that they don't and cannot understand. They're looking for answers that are not found in a, in a bottle of drugs or a bottle of alcohol or in a, a house of prostitution. Who, who is going to tell them what that light is? If you don't, and if we don't, who's going to tell them? And we may not get many more chances to tell them before, before they go off into eternal darkness. And so the jailer brought them out of the jail now. He's, okay, you're out of here now. And he asked them a very important question, the greatest question of his life. He said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? You guys have that answer. Everybody here probably knows the answer. What do I have to do to be saved? They said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and your house. That doesn't mean that everybody's house is going to be saved. We don't know that. But we do know that that's what the, they told the jailer. So that third thing is, well, you know, first they sang and prayed at midnight, and then they shook the place, and then they preached the gospel. Well, that's hardly a sermon. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
That's a sermon. That's a great sermon. But it's a sermon that if I only preach with my mouth, is a terrible sermon. But if I preach it with my life, it's a wonderful sermon. Jesus didn't just come to tell us things. He came to show us things. He showed himself. And he said, this is what I'm making available to you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. Take and drink in remembrance of me. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them, this, get this, the same hour of the night, he took them, you know the story again, and he washed their stripes. The same guy that helped put, of, uh, not avulsions, but bruises and lacerations and punctures on their backs. He washed them, tried to make them better. And immediately, he and his family were baptized. Tell me the Lord doesn't love everybody. Now, when he brought them to his house, he set food before them. They got a free dinner from the jailer. And he, the jailer, who was about to stab himself, he rejoiced, believing in God with all of his household. So they preached the gospel. They worshiped at midnight. They shook the place. They let their light shine, and they preached the gospel. That's a wonderful, rudimentary outline of what we should be doing when we're in trouble. I want to mention just a few more prisons that we're dealing with nowadays, and it may not be what you think. After a lot of years of I've come up with four of the most horrible dangers in American culture. And they're not sold as dangers. They're not sold as a bad thing. They're sold as a good thing. And they can be a good thing. But anything that surrounds us so much that God can't get to us or we can't get to him, anything that is so, cov so covers us, covers us so much, that we can't see the needs of others. It doesn't matter how good those things are in small portions, they can become like a prison. Four things I'd like for you to think about tonight, next week, whenever you let, whenever the Lord brings them back to your memory, assuming he will, and I think he will. I've called these, although I'm hesitant to use this word, but little g, the gods, the most recent gods of America. One, Amusement. Pastor Witt, are you telling me it's wrong for me to be amused? No, I'm telling you it's wrong if that's all you go for. If all I want to do is be amused. I don't like church because it's not fun enough. I don't like ministry because it's work. I'd rather be amused. You know the word amused means A means without and muse means think. The word amusement means without thinking. And there are times you want to go and watch something different so you don't have to think about the problems. Please don't let that be your all in all. Two, recreation. Recreation is good for you. Yeah, the Bible says bodily exercise profits a little, and that's all right. But if all I can think about is getting on that jogging course or playing racquetball or swimming and I live every moment to play another football game or, or to, to uh, in, in, engage myself in sports in some way, 
that thing might be becoming a prison for me. I like to hunt. I learned how to bow hunt in Minnesota, and I was able to uh, harvest several deer and one bear. And uh, don't shoot a bear unless you're ready for him to be shot. Yeah, I made it home okay, in case you're wondering. And the other, this, this touched my heart years ago, and it still does, and it was a problem for me. And some of you will be able to say, I, I got to admit, yeah, I struggle there. Talk about things that are good, but they become prisons, sports. I played high school football. We won a championship. It was fun. To this day, I carry wounds in my body from that. I broke a bone in my back, my finger, my nose, a toe, one rib, uh, two teeth. Other than that, I came out pretty well. Don't play football if you're a little guy, or a little girl for that matter. I'm here to warn you tonight. Not warning like, you know, we're gonna hurt you if you don't do what we say, but warning like there's, there's danger ahead. And if you'll allow me one more thing. Pastor Miller, would you just stand up here in front of the church? Actually, up here. He had to help me up the stair. My knee buckled. And it's not that I'm old, but I am. I'm going to give you a warning, okay? I don't think you're going to do this, what I'm about to say, but... Um, don't let this church become a prison for you. Don't let the responsibilities of vocational ministry tie you up so much. And, and I'm not saying it has, but I'm saying don't let it happen. Don't let your love and devotion to the church outweigh your love and devotion for Jenny and your boys and your grandkids and your daughters-in-law. Don't let the heavy schedule that pastors sometimes keep and the immense responsibilities sometimes we try to, do, to take care of, don't, don't let that weigh you down so much that you forget to realize who you're working for and that it is a joy and an honor. And I told him that, and he's probably been telling you guys the same thing. Don't let the church, the job, television, food, drink, alcohol, amusement, recreation, all those things, don't let it lock you up. Allow yourself to be free. Brother Witter has always had a unique way of taking such a hard topic and making it such a reality saying some deep things so simple how uh, we could be blown away with this theology and all the different kinds of things he could educate educate into his education come up here and use big words that we don't understand and all of that kind of a thing but he was real with us tonight sometimes we're spoiled in america and we've said it before we live in the land of the free and the home of the brave and fastly it's becoming to where that switching where the third world country culture and practices and gods and spirits are coming over into America and the very thing that made those nations bound is the very things that's bound in America 
And the very thing those Christians experience over in China and Russia, some of the very things that you and I could be facing very, very, very soon. We cry over spilt milk. We cry over the washing machine. We cry because the tick collar didn't work on the dog and the dog's got ticks. We get upset at some of the most silliest things and lose our heart and lose our hope. I thank God that Jesus suffered vicariously for me. Thank God he went to the cross. Thank God that he suffered in areas so that I don't have to suffer. I don't have to be bitten, beaten and whipped by God and chastised by God because of my sin. Jesus took that upon the cross for me. I don't have to suffer vicariously like Jesus did. But Jesus also suffered empathetically. And Peter said that them sufferings are sufferings that you and I have to follow his footsteps in. There is persecution. Brother Winter made a, a, a very interesting observation to his son. Do you don't mind me sharing that, do you? At lunch today, he was telling us his son Richard was talking to him and said, was a little upset of all of the persecution or the stuff that he was dealing with, the different kinds of comments that was made about the ministry. And before it was over, old dad stepped in and said, son, some of the things Richard thought as a boy watching his mom and dad pastoring was upset at certain people because he thought they were cool to him as a pastor. And Dennis's observation was this, it don't matter what profession you take in life, factory workers get criticized, cab drivers get criticized. What makes pastors any different? It's just a way of life. Some good things and bad things happen, but what's our attitude gonna to be toward them? What is the way we're gonna to react to them? And then today at lunch, we was able to minister to a young man who sat down at our table at the restaurant. He was a worker there. They were closing, kind of in between closing, I guess. And that young man was there and Dennis just ministered so beautifully to him. Me and my wife was amazed. And before long, we all prayed with him. We hope to see him here soon. It's all about spreading that gospel. And before we close out here tonight, I don't want to make this long, but if you're in some kind of a prison that you don't belong in, God wants to set you free. And then if you're in a prison because God's got you there to teach you some things, then God wants to give you the grace to bear it and he wants to allow you to learn your lessons of life that you might be able to be a better Christian. If you're suffering for wrongdoing, that's not the will of God according to James. But if you're suffering for his sake, if we suffer with him, we shall also be glorified together with him. Hallelujah. If you need prayer tonight, this altar is open. And anybody that comes up here, we're going to be praying for you. We're not going to leave you. We'll, we'll, we'll pray for you. But we love you. We appreciate you. And get that sobering thought in your mind about your prison. Thank you for the word of warning on my life, Brother we uh, Witter. I almost called you Brother West. I'm used to saying that because he preaches on Sunday night. How many of you appreciate the message tonight? Amen. Thank you. Now, one thing I want to make clear before we leave here. 
Now, he's kind of spilt a little bit how old he is. Um, Dennis was going to the youth camps when I was young, and he was 40 years old, okay? So that's how much older he is than I am. I was just a young guy. <laughs> that's a lie. He's been in the ministry a long, long time, and I could tell you stories that would make you laugh, that make you cry, but I want to tell you, I thank God for it. Man, this is not a topic. If I was going to go preach a sermon at another church, I would not want to use the topic that he used. But he's a man of God that knows the need and the hour of all the stuff the church is preaching. We're not getting down to the depth where some people really live. Amen. We got our cliches and we like to uh, electrify that audience. He gave us raw truth tonight. Let's take it home and digest it and think about it. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed us from tonight.